Good morning, everybody. Or afternoon, I guess. Welcome to the Calgary Expo, and welcome to our artist panel. I'm proud to have Steve Lieber next to me, Tom Coker next to him, and Tom Rainey down at the end. Tom Rainey's going to do some drawing today, and I know that uh, Tom and Steve are going to be doing a lot of talking about it, uh, which I think is great. Uh, so, Steve, you've also brought your book, The Fix. That is a uh, my newest book from Image Comics. Two volumes out so far. Uh, if you're under 18, stay away. Um, uh, but it, it's a, a story about uh, the two worst people in Los Angeles and the drug-sniffing beagle that can bring them to justice. I think I dated one of them. <laughs> and Tom uh, Coker, I know you've got your Black Monday murders uh, for sale. Um, yeah, I'm doing the Black Monday murders with Jonathan Hickman uh, writing, and uh, I got the trades at my at my table and head sketches. And, uh, and uh, Tom number uh, two, I guess, in this case. Uh, <laughs> do you have anything uh, at your table with you that you're currently working on? Uh, well, I don't have anything I'm currently working on because the new book comes out in July, I think. Uh, it's uh, Dread Gods from Ominous Press, distributed by IDW, uh, written by Ron Mars. Right. Excellent. Uh, fun sci-fi fantasy stuff. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's start out. Uh, so... What do you guys think, and I know that there'll be individual answers for all of this, but uh, what do you think is the most important thing to think about when you're planning on starting a comic book project? Why don't we start with you, Steve? Um, the first thing I need to figure out is is the tone of the piece. I change my style around a lot depending upon whether upon the genre of my story. If I'm telling an adventure story uh, or a thriller or a horror story or a comedy, uh, I want to know what, what feelings I want to evoke in the reader, and I'll, I'll nudge every aspect of my drawing to make, to get those, to get the right points across. Um, when I, when I first started doing comedy in comics just a few years ago, I had to throw away about 80% of, of the tricks that I used, of the techniques that I used in my drawing because it was killing the joke. Um, I used to, uh, really elaborately render every panel. I would put, uh, a lot of detail and a lot of texture in it, um, and, I, and I wouldn't fi- I wouldn't feel like it was finished until every panel felt like its own separate illustration. Now, when, now that I'm doing comedy, um, I start drawing and I stop when it's funny. It's <laughs> that, that cut right there. How about you, uh, Tom? Go. Um, I mean, when I do a book like something like the Black Monday Murders or pretty much anything, um, the last book I did was called Undying Love, and it was set in Hong Kong. Uh, I mean, stylistically, I talk to the writer or, or the editor or whatever about what they want from me or what they're hoping for. Um, but I, I tend to spend a lot of time in the beginning and during the course of the book doing research. Like, I can make sure, like, like in the Black Monday murders, I had to draw the stock market in 1929 during the crash. And as I was doing research, I realized that they had remodeled the stock market in, like, November of 1929. And that's the only pictures you could find were the November pictures. So I had to call up the stock exchange and say like do you guys got an archival thing where you can send me some photos of what it looked like so I can know and make sure I'm doing the right thing and or I'm drawing Hong Kong and I'm trying to figure out like you know what a market looks like in Hong Kong and all this kind of stuff and I really spend probably far too much time uh, just researching to make sure that I'm going to get it right because I don't want to ever be able to have someone come back and say I did it wrong or I made it up or I faked it I generally have very little time <laughs> to do research. 
I, I get in what I can and uh, make it as accurate as I can and generally just do what I feel like doing what fits the uh, fits it as best as I can in the uh, time I've got well you have do you have a preference then for the kind of art that you like really want to dig into uh, well part of the reason we're doing Dread Gods is uh, you know it's our own world we get to design everything uh, I got to do that with uh, Threshold over at uh, DC and it's, it's one of the books I look back as having the most fun with uh, everything was mine, you know, from the clothing to the you know, vehicles to the buildings. You know, that's for me. That's a lot of fun. So, uh, Tom, are you going to be uh, doing any drawing during the during the show, and we can kind of show it off as we go? I know I see that yeah, sure. uh, Tom Coker's doing yeah. a little bit of work, yeah. so no, no, no. I think it's great. We can show some of the work off. So Do you guys draw? Who draws? Right, raise your hand. And who, who wants to do it for, for a living? So-so? <laughs> the heads, even the heads that are up only went up halfway. They're kind of like hesitant. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at these guys. I mean, these are all great guys. And I mean, why would you not want to be like these guys? <laughs> start start picking up the reasons. How long a list do you want? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. number one. Yeah. Yeah. Just, we can start a list. Yeah. Failed at humanity. Um... Uh, I started taking drawing seriously, I guess I was about 11 or 12, uh, just just sketching in my room a lot. At, at the time, I didn't think of it as as study. I thought of it as what I was doing instead of having friends. Um, <laughs> but I, I was... I was. We are I, definitely I, cool, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I got very good at falling into a piece of paper and just sort of living inside the drawing and living imaginatively in the drawing. And even if it wasn't technically good, I was thinking, you know, if I would draw a villain's lair, I would think about all the corners of it and what's the stuff and what goes in there. And that, and, and just having that, that active imagination is 90% of the battle. Um, the, the technical stuff is stuff that you learn by, by study and by repetition. Uh, but but the ability to, to to fall in love with the picture while you're working on it and to live inside of it, that's what keeps that, that's what's going to keep you going over the long haul. It, it, I always people a lot of people will talk to me. They'll come up to shows. Or they'll come up to me at, uh, anywhere I go, and they'll say, "Oh, you're so talented." And that always. How old are the people here? That's pretty young. Okay, it upsets me <laughs> um, because like there was a book that came out a few years back. Uh, about 10,000 hours to master something or whatever. Outliers. Is that, yeah, that's what it is, yeah. And so Buddy and I sat down, with, he draws comics as well, and we figured out how many hours we've put into drawing. And like, I started really trying to think about drawing professionally about 13 or 14, and I got out of high school early at 15, and I was drawing eight hours a day for about a year and a half there. And I've done it ever since. And we figured out that's like 75,000 hours or something like that. Um, so there's a reason why you get good at stuff. It's not because you sit down and magically someone can just put a good picture on the paper. like that. Or you, maybe you can get a good thing out once in a while, but to be consistently good and professional and able to, without wanting to scream and run away from the drawing board every other minute, uh, you gotta just practice and practice and practice. It becomes rote at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a, a big part of, of doing this professionally is 
getting certain skills out of the way um, uh, reappear. We don't have to think too much about anatomy anymore, or or how perspective works, or how light hits an object. We've got SketchUp. Yeah, we we, we, we we've, yeah, we've got tools. We've got it's just we've, like Photoshop. Yeah. yeah, we've solved that problem so many times that we can we can spend our time thinking about other other problems. Um, I always likened uh, making comics to being like juggling. Uh, juggling one ball is not difficult. It's just tossing a ball up and down and catching it. Juggling two, not all that tough. When you toss a third thing in there, a, a third problem in there, then it gets difficult. Four, really, really tough. Five, forget it. You're talking about world-class professionals. Um, and making comics is a lot like that. Um, you aren't just drawing a figure. You're drawing a figure in relation to other figures. You're thinking about the acting that the figure is doing. You're thinking about how the clothing uh, that, that the different figures wear drapes across their body. You're thinking about how the light hits them in their clothing and the space they're in. And then you have to think about how these pictures relate to each other, both in the story and graphically on the page. It's a lot of di different problems to solve. Um, and the more of the of the basic technical things that you can get out of the way, the more time you can spend solving those, those tricky advanced problems. Um, now I say get the basic stuff out of the way. Um, I, I should dial that back and say, whenever I talk to young artists and look at their portfolios, I always tell them, you're gonna need to work on their basic drawing and I watch them just deflate because they think, oh, that, that's, that's not the important stuff, that's not the interesting stuff. Um, and I always have to tell them, they don't call it basic because it's easy. They call it basic because it's the base, it's, it's the foundation, foundation. of, of um, everything else that you want to do. That's why they're called foundation courses. Yeah. 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 But also, like, I draw comic books, and when I, I, I started working professionally when I was 16 at DC, and uh, I had an editor say to me, can you draw like Rob Liefeld? And I really liked Art Adams. And I said, yeah, sure, I could do that. And so I went home and had about two weeks to learn how to draw like Rob Liefeld. And this isn't a knock on Rob at all. I mean, he has a huge career, so. Um, but from the time I was about, I don't know, 17 or so until I was about 30, I did life drawing at least two times a week. Because, I mean, that's where you learn... You're not drawing superheroes, and you're not drawing Snicked, or you're not drawing Banff or whatever. I don't know if Banff even registers anymore. But um, you're not drawing capes and cloaks, and maybe if you go to a costume one. But for the most part, you're drawing odd-looking naked people uh, who, for some reason, want to get paid 20 bucks to stand in front of a classroom of strangers with no clothes on. Um, but In Portland, they do that in public transit for free. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you should start that class. <laughs> and... Uh, but it's they, already going on. <laughs> but they, because um, I think it was Robert Fawcett, who, he's an illustrator from the 50s, 60s. Um, he said that, uh, that an artist tool is a, is a pencil and a brush, not a scalpel. And so, like, learning anatomy is great. And learning anatomy is a necessary thing. And you, you learning art, you know, perspective and all these things, it's like these are fundamental things you have to understand to draw this stuff for a living. Um, but you also have to learn how to, how it really works. Like you can look at 
all the cutaway charts of how the tricep and the bicep. I don't, I don't even know how the tricep works anymore because it's been a long time. But um, but I know how the shadows fall, and that's because I got to watch. I spent better part of a couple decades sitting in life drawing classes every couple days, you know, two three times a week for two or three hours at a time, and you do. You start out. Have you guys done life drawing? Who's done life drawing? Okay. Good. For the benefit of the others, you start out and you have your big newsprint sketch, and you're on your work, your horse, and there's a model there, and you they're lit up, and you're surrounded by 20 or 30 other people, and the first sketch you do, they're going to have a, a one minute pose or whatever, and you get one minute to try and draw the that person sitting there. It's like a warm up, and you do a couple of those, and you do a couple five minute sketches, and you do a couple of 10 minute sketches, and a couple of 20 minute sketches, and then you're starting to do you know, 45 minute poses where you sit there for, you know, you gradually work your way up to trying to understand. By the time you're done, you're doing these sketches where you actually have to think about technique and you have to think about finish and all this stuff. And I don't think there's any better education that you can have. Because uh, then you take your book out in the public and you're sitting at a Starbucks or whatever and, and you start drawing the little people sitting around you and you just kind of covertly, like. Yeah. And, uh, or draw your girlfriend or boyfriend or draw your brother or sister or parents. I mean, life drawing is the... I think that's the tool that a lot of people... You can get to a certain point just knowing the the, the inside and outs of anatomy and, and, and perspective and dot, dot, dot. But uh, the, the, the extra step you got to take is learning how that stuff works in the real world. Or I mean, that's for what I do. I do stuff that's kind of based in reality and there's a lot of you know reference and photo and all kind of different stuff so well even the best cartoony or stylized stuff um, has a basic um, foundation um, of reality yeah you know, I mean you know it doesn't work unless you've got that base yeah. you can be as stylized as you want so long as you know how it's supposed to actually fit together yeah and and for folks who, who work in really stylized manners whether it's something influenced by the Japanese artists or something influenced by Disney, um, the way you get to your own style is by having well-informed opinions about what people look like and how they move. Yeah, and you get that well-informed opinion by a whole lot of staring, just <laughs> a whole lot of time spent looking. You make at other people uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So the anatomy book is just a, a it's a very generalized, um, specific uh, set of instructions. But when you go out and you actually see real people, you've got to. You know, you got a hundred billion different ways to you know that that person's going to be. Every single person in here is going to sit a slightly different way from the other one, or stand a different way, or run a different way. Yeah. And also, you're going to, like I said earlier, when I, in my career I started, I had to draw like uh, Rob Liefeld for a couple of years, and um, it was always a total chore because I didn't think the way Rob Liefeld or Art Adams or Jim Lee or any of these guys, and they're all really, really accomplished well-respected, rightfully so, illustrators in their own right, but I don't think like they think or see like they see or, or so at a certain point you just start to butt up against that because your brain is starting to tell you how you want to do it and not how they do it. And if you're only using someone else's solutions to the problem, you're never going to understand. Like my style, when I look at what I do, I'm a big fan of people that you're, you're not going to recognize any of these names. Al Williamson and Jorge Zafino and, and, and Michaluzzi and these different people that have come before. And I look at what I do as a failed attempt 
to incorporate all the different techniques that they've used over the course of their career, because I'm just not quite them. I don't do what they do, so I took what they did and studied it and figured it out and then incorporated it into my own experiences and my own learning and my own course, and eventually you come out with your own way of solving problems and presenting something on a page. And uh, if you don't, if you haven't internalized the, um, the, 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 the skill and the, and the, and the, and the way of your, if you haven't realized your own way of seeing things, you're never going to get there. So, Tom, why don't we have a look at uh, what you've done so far? Let's see if we can make that uh, little device nice work. How we get this stuff I think down. you just put, uh, put what you've drawn underneath it. Is anything coming under, up on the screen? Under this. Is it on? Do you have to tap the space bar? Oh, no, the tap the laptop. space bar on the laptop. Oh, okay. And it doesn't look like anything's open. So. <laughs> oh, wait, something's moving. Yes. It happens. Oh, there we go. Oh, whoa! Do you want to move this thing up? Yeah, yeah, maybe a little too. You can have the mic. So yeah, I mean that's that's what Tom has been drawing since we started doing this. Yep. So what are the what are the stages then in this case? So you you've got the simple sketch. Like what comes next, and how do you keep building that out? Um, well, at this point, this is about as as uh, detailed as I get with my pencils these days. Uh, I just jump into you know doing the work in the ink. Um, now we can't see it. <laughs> and that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because we need a light on the drawing. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Clever. It's funny. So, uh, you know, basically uh, what I've got here is a schematic um, to do the rest of the work from. Yeah. This is a you know, pretty easy, you know, straightforward Wolverine. Mm -hmm. And then that's afterwards, nice like... That's some, that, there's a lot of stuff going there. Well, been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. Should have picked exactly. up something. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> well, yeah, Tom, hopefully. Not everyone does. And Tom uh, Coker in the middle, why don't you show off what uh, what you've got? Um, well? I mean, you've been working on I mean, this is kind of like... But, uh, so, I, I pencil about that tight as well. I pencil everything in red, just because that's how I learned how to do it for some reason. I like it's wax instead of lead, and I like to explain it Explain uh, what you say when you say you pencil tight. No, I pencil about that tight. I don't pencil tight. Um, guys who pencil, like if I'm working with an inker, I, which I don't do in a long time, but if you do, you t tend to pencil tighter because you need the inker to know what you're trying to accomplish, and so they can follow what you're putting down. But if I'm making it myself, like I don't need to really draw the eyebrows out every line because I know I'm just going to go and draw it. And so, I mean, this is kind of what a... I don't know if you can see... Oh yeah. yeah you, if you look on the back. Yeah, I, like I mean, this is me about halfway through inking, um, and eventually I'm going to go in and fill all that cross hatching in with smudge and black and splatter and stuff just to kind of cover it up. But can you guys see the red? Yeah. Well, here you can. Um, if you look at the back of the screen, you can see how much. Oh yeah, yeah. So I mean, the red is just that's basically what the sketch was, and then this is a finished drawing I did earlier, which is. Kind of. I don't know how you. There you go. Seems a little weird perspective, but. Um, and again, like this had a bunch of red under it. I, I no, this was this had gray under it, and I erased it. But um, I, you know, I'm not going to draw like these checks, and I'll put one or two there because I know what I'm going to do with it, or I don't have to draw the lips out, or necessarily figure out where the shine's going to be because you're. 
I've done it a, a, a lot of times. <laughs> and so you just start to understand how to how to do that. Um, are we supposed to talk about comics as well? Yeah, well, and that's what I was going to try to transition into was now like like you talk about this and and how do you break that out into the into the layout and into the overall like panel structure of a comic. Um, when I'm laying out a comics page, uh, I I wasn't a natural cartoonist at all, so I had to figure things out very very step by step. Um, and one of the things I'll do is. Try to, is I'll try to tell myself the story of the page that I'm drawing in words and make sure that my pictures get across all the information that those words get across and more hopefully. Um, so you know, I'll ask myself, does the reader need to know where this takes place? If so, I'll make sure that I've got a, a drawing of the place that, that tells them what they need to know about the place. If I was doing a story set in this room, I'd make sure they understood that there's one area that's higher than the other, and on the floor there's a lot of chairs, that there's strange uh, cloth-covered tables in the back over there, and that there's a lot of space. If I was, and, and I would do that because, if, just say I was setting up a sword fight in this room, I'd want to set up the possibility that someone could be leaping up onto the platforms or jumping from chair to chair or picking the chairs up and defending themselves with them. Um, when, when you're doing an establishing shot, you're establishing the possibilities of what could happen in a scene. Um, after that, I'd want to tell the reader who are the characters, so I'd make sure to give them a good look at who these people are, and hopefully uh, show them doing something that's characteristic. Uh, an example everyone's seen, at the opening of Star Wars, the first time you see Darth Vader, what's he doing? He's stepping over a dead body. That tells you this is a scary guy. This is this is a, a man who's callous and, and doesn't care about about other people. Um, uh, if if I'm if I'm introducing um, a, a a nervous accountant uh, at his desk, um, I'm, yeah, I'm, going to sh I'm going to pick body language that shows that he doesn't interact well with people. Um, I'm going to give him, I'm going to give him stuff to hide behind because he doesn't want to to be confronted by by folks. Um, I just want, I'm going to look for all the things that I want my reader to know about the characters and about the story, and I'm going to find ways to fit all that in. Yeah, yeah, because like when you see a character, I mean, there are certain archetypes where you see a character and you can just recognize because, like, if you're doing a nervous accountant. If you're doing a nervous accountant, you're not going to draw him sitting at a, at a weight bench with uh, rippling abs and, and, <laughs> and a calculator. I mean, you're going to draw him at a, a little nebbish guy with glasses behind him. Well, yeah. Yeah. different times. <laughs> but you're going to put in all these, these ciphers that tell the audience what they need to know about a person. And then also you just got to break down pages. Like I mean, when I break down a page for storytelling, I do it this. I do the same thing every time. Oh, yeah, can I do that? Yeah, you can just grab that and move it. Totally mobile. Sweet. This is like the twenty-first. Yeah, if you look at the yeah. back of the screen, you can see. It. Show my thumbnail. Um. So down here. Yeah. I have a little drawing like this. They're about this. They're exactly this size. I'm going to do it in pen so you can actually see it. But I do it in red, but I'll do it in pen so you can see. This, is, by the way, is a stad letter calligraphy wedge brush. <laughs> it is the greatest brush, I mean the greatest pen marker in the world. Because you can do this. 
But so I do a, <laughs> I do a page like this. And I read the script and I go, I break it into three. Every, every page for me is three tiers because I know how much work goes into every tier. And I go, okay, panel one. And I break the first tier in half and I draw a guy doing, you know, he's, I'm angry. Or first he'll draw a building, he'll draw like an establishing shot like Steve was talking about. This and takes then, place in the city today is the message of a shot like that. And this or, is a really cool city. <laughs> and then I draw a guy and I'll draw him, you know, in a wider shot and he's sitting there. And then I'll come down here and I'll think, if it's a seven panel page, for example, I'll go, well, I can't just break all these things into two. I got to figure out, like, then I start to just draw the panels and start to figure out, okay, this panel's an inset of him stirring his cup of coffee. And so I don't need to make a big panel for show him stirring his cup of coffee. So that's going to be something small. And then I'm going to do, this is a shot of him, you know, glancing sideways. as he drinks his cup of coffee or something. These are, and this is about how tight they are. And then I show, you know, this is going to be a shot of him. See, you'll see him glance sideways, and I'll put a little arrow there so I remember what I'm drawing. And then I'll pop out wide so you can see him drinking his coffee still. This is a boring story. <laughs> and you'll see the, and I say that a lot when I'm working. And you'll see that there's a girl over here that he's got a crush on. And she's sitting with some cool football player. And then, you know, whatever, dot, 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 and so on. You know, but eventually I get these really simple breakouts or uh, breakdowns and layouts. And then I can go back and go, all right, I don't want to do a grid. I want to do, I want to do it where that top city panel, that's not that important. Maybe it's a shot of a school. So I'm, it's not that important. I can do that with a, a much simple or much smaller, take up less real estate and more specific shots. So I can do that as a tall, or as a, as a long, narrow panel across the top and then put, you know, the, I'm left-handed so you guys are stuck. But, and just put the tops of the buildings in with maybe some kids walking in the foreground so you can tell it's a school. And then I'll think, okay, this has to be a pretty good sized shot of establishing him sitting in the cafeteria. So I'm gonna do that with no borders so it'll bleed off the page. And then I need to do these two inserts of him stirring his coffee. I'm looking off to the to his left, and so that's going to be here like this. And I'll still do those the same way. But then I got to do this shot of what is? I don't even know what these two on the bottom are because the writer didn't do a very good job at this. <laughs> and I'll do these as you know these. I'll leave these as squares or whatever. And and by the time I'm done, I'm like, okay, I've got a pretty interesting. You know, I'll have a pretty interesting looking page, and I can—I got a script in my bag that every page is covered with these little drawings in red, and I—I I usually I'll do it next to the panel description when the writer does it, and I'll put a one next to it. One, two. So then I go back and I start putting the page together on the back of those script pages, and, and really it's that basic, because you can't start by going. Maybe somebody can. I can't. You, you don't start by going like, oh, this is a masterpiece, and just, this is innovative. Like, you, you have to, uh, you have to start with these really simple ideas, so then you can elaborate or expand on those simple ideas to make them into something cool. And again, I've done hundreds of pages, and so I can go, oh, I know I'm going to do this as an inset, 
So this stirring coffee shot is going to be a cool narrow shot, and it's going to have a little stir, and we draw the ripples in the coffee and whatever. Um, but but I still start every page the exact same way because then I know by the time I'm done with reading that script that I've got a good idea of at least what the story is on every page. And then you go back and figure out what the emphasis is and what the how to use diagonals and how to use big black shapes or whatever big negative shapes to push the eye around. You know, and move people back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Make sure everything's going the right direction so that you don't have you don't have people you don't want stories going from right to left because you're going to lead people off the wrong side of the page and they're going to get confused at the end because we assume that you've never read a comic before. And it's funny though, I remember getting a critique from Carl Potts, who's an editor, he used to be an editor at Marvel, he was a great editor. And he went on and on and on about right to left storytelling, I mean left to right storytelling, and telling me how it was a cornerstone and you just couldn't, you can't break the rule. And he went on and on for like 20 minutes talking about this and he said, unless they're explorers, because then discovery has always been an east to west process. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only time you can ever have someone moving forward in a story by going right to left. And my little 15-year-old mind just melted. <laughs> it just was so that's awesome. So yeah. confusing at the time. Yeah. It, it, the, uh, what he's talking about with, with the, the left to right rule, uh, those are rules that we inherited from, from films. And for a while, they were absolutely sacrosanct, and everyone thought that that these are these are required for making stories clear. That that you have to maintain this very specific left to right relationship of all the elements on a page. Um, and then we started importing Japanese comics, and sometimes we flipped them, and sometimes we didn't. And <coughs> and, it, it turned, it, yeah, and people still read, read the stories just fine. And they Got away with it. Yeah. Um, it, 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 that it was that lesson that helped me move move away from just being absolutely ferociously concerned with always maintaining a left to right relationship on my pages. But it is a good it is a good to it's have a, that that basic understanding yeah. of like how to keep how to maintain like speaking order. Yeah. yeah. Like if you have four people speaking in a panel, you want to make you don't have to make sure it's not hundred percent necessary, but you want to make sure that if they're if you have Bob, Sue, Jack, and I'm just going to stick with three. Bob, Sue, and Jack. In the next panel, you don't want to have Jack, Sue, and Bob, and then have Bob, Jack, Sue. Like You want to keep them in the same kind of physical space, left to right or right to left, or however it works, it's up to down on the page. Yeah, yeah you don't want to break that 180 rule. Yeah. Well, um, isn't it true? You have to learn the rules before you can right. break the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we don't care now. Yeah. Sometimes you, sometimes you want to change the direction of it yeah. just because you want to, you know, make the reader stop for a second uh, and pay a little bit extra attention uh, to. Uh, Ooh. Scruff. Yeah. I can't. Close up on the scruff. Yeah, that's perfect. So, wrong way. so when you when you started when you started making that, did you know that there was a lighter plane and then the darker plane for the hair? A little bit. Yeah. This is. Just sketching, mm -hmm. yeah, as opposed to you know actual work, and so it's kind of making it up as I go along. And do you have a, a physical type in mind when you start drawing a character like Wolverine? Do you think of an um, actor, or yeah, my my thought on on him is a bit more Charles Bronson than uh, than uh, you, Jack, mm -hmm. uh, and about a foot shorter. Yeah, yeah, and a lot hairier. Thick. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I definitely um, think of a specific type of person. Um, I'm not. I'm not a great likeness person, so I don't really want to uh, do somebody specific. Uh, 
some people do great with that. Yeah, just not me. Yeah, yeah. I, I rarely, either. yeah, I rarely uh, physically reference a, a celebrity when I'm drawing a picture of a character in my comics, but I'll often, in the back of my brain, just tell myself, okay, this guy's sort of Jimmy Stewart. This guy's sort of Kirk Douglas. This, and, and, and pick them. You know, uh, <laughs> this guy's sort of. Sort of Zach Galifianakis. This guy. <laughs> Zach Efron. Yeah, yes, this guy's Zach Efron. Yeah, um, always pick somebody named Zach. It's important for your comics, really. Um, and and just just having that that type in my head, just just to just to have a starting place when I begin uh, when I when I begin sketching a character, um, it, it goes a long way towards helping me keep them all distinctive. Um, I also learned a great technique from one of my teachers at the Joe Kubert School where I studied. Um, he referred to this as tagging. Uh, every character has one or two traits uh, that are distinctive so that even if you completely blow the likeness of the character, you can still tell who it is. Um, it could, with the, the guys on here, um, this guy has, this guy is always wearing blonde hair and a black suit. Uh, this guy has black curly hair, uh, fairly distinctive facial hair, and some form of Hawaiian shirt. And no matter no matter when I'm drawing him, he's always going to have some kind of some kind of elaborate pattern on his shirt, uh, just as a way to to remind the reader who this guy is. Um, it's it's it can be a lot to ask an audience to keep track of 15 or 20 different characters in the story, especially if they don't all have really distinctive superhero suits or something. Mm -hmm. um, or if you don't have uh, the luxury of a comic strip artist to do really extreme types. You know, Beetle Bailey is this thin and, and has a hat that makes his eyes completely invisible. Um, Sergeant Snorkel has one tooth sticking up. Uh, and he has, he has a dog that looks exactly like him. Um, uh, you, we don't have that range of 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 exaggerations in this kind of comic, um, but you can use the same sorts of techniques to make sure that, that readers always know immediately who they're looking at. Do we have any? Uh, yes. Questions? Do we need questions? Yeah. Got a question? Sure. So um, you talked about how you wanted the basic and the fundamentals, and then you want. Um, Kind of, you're, you still want to know from your own experience and stuff like that. My biggest issue, I think, is reconciling it. I find it's, I still want to learn the basics, but I still am trying to, like, try to develop my own thing. Um, and I think the biggest thing, I'll, I can talk forever, but I'll, I'll try to keep this short. My, my art teacher, because I'm such a messy or not type, artist wanted me to be an expressionist painter and I wanted to do shit like this. Mm -hmm. uh, Easy. <laughs> it's up now. Um, You'll get a yeah, ticket on the way out. So, yeah. like, and I always found it hard to do the basics because she wanted me to learn how to do it tighter but only to paint or only to learn the basics as related to one thing. And so I found it really hard trying to start up again to get back to the basics to well, I know, I know those skills are transferable, but it's just yeah. I mean, the reason why I put it off so many times is I can't. I'm going to say that, that was a bad teacher. Yeah, bad teachers are a big, big, big pitfall in, in, in art because 
if you're listening to someone who has no idea what they're talking about, but they're in a position of authority because they've got a teaching credential or something, or they've, they've got a, a someone to agree to let them teach at their shop or whatever, um, you've got to be real. Same with music or something, anything. Like if you have a bad teacher or math, it really, literally anything. If you have a bad math teacher who doesn't understand the fundamentals of math, then he's never going to be able to teach you how to do. It's crippled. Yeah, you're done. Um, but also, like if you look at impressionists, like you mentioned the impressionists, like if you look at like what Degas was doing or Monet or people like John Sargent that are kind of tertiary impressionists or Whistler. Picasso. Picasso. Look at his early stuff. Those guys could draw like monsters. Those guys knew anatomy. They knew there's even you go further forward and you look at people that are like the abstract guys like Diebenkorn or or these type of people um, uh, or Warhol, these type of guys, they could draw. They knew how to, they had gone to school, they'd learned all that stuff so that at a certain point later they could abandon all of it and just do what they want to do, but they still understand. They still understand how to draw. They still understand composition. They still understand rhythm and all these different things. That if they didn't understand that, like like sometimes you look at a painting by someone who's an abstract guy or whatever, and and, and people that that was a five minute warning, they're going to play us off. Um, you look at people who don't get the hook. understand what they're seeing, and they can say, "Well, I could paint that. That's just a bunch of Jackson Pollock splatters or whatever." But there's a reason why Jackson Pollock is Jackson Pollock, and the guy who says, "I can paint that." isn't is because Jackson Pollock understood exactly what he was doing and he had a foundation and the basics and he understood all this stuff and he was able to then translate that into something new um, and so he had a foundation he did mm-hmm. and so yeah I just have a really quick uh, you know follow-up to that then is there a good way to kind of tell when you have a good art teacher or not like is there is there kind of like some some checklist that you would be able to look at Google what work they've done that's that's yeah. a great one if um, they've never been published then or never had a show or whatever yeah but your best understanding of it will be probably after you've left mm-hmm. yeah um, that's the unfortunate part you you won't know how little they know or how much they know until you know enough to recognize it. What I would look for uh, in any teacher is the ability to explain things in a useful and ordinary and a a useful, concise, and well-ordered fashion. Um, If if they tell you, if if the things they tell you to do are things that can be done, uh, if they tell you to. Try to evoke white light from you know, erupting from the page. That's not a thing you can do. If they tell you um, to, to to do a gradation of tone, starting from dark over here, moving towards light, and then getting dark again, that's something you can do. Um, you, you you build all the expressive stuff that comes later on uh, out of an assembly of of small, doable, concrete steps. Uh, the more concrete their teaching is, especially in the beginning, the better. Um, if they're they're airy and, and head in the clouds and talking about ideas, they might be a terrific artist, but they're probably not going to be a very good communicator. Teaching is an entirely separate skill from, from making art. The ability to actually organize your thoughts and present them in a, in a coherent way doesn't necessarily go with the ability to, to, to draw like an SOB. Well, Joe was kind of like that. Yeah. You know, he was great when you were right there in front of him, and he could say, do it like this, and he'd show you. He wouldn't be great if he was selling you a book on it. No, no. 
All right. Well, I think we're out of time. I want to thank uh, Steve Lieber, Tom Coker, and Tom Rainey for coming out with us. I hope that uh, you got a lot from that. I know I did. Um, so yeah, if if any of you have portfolios with you and you want to bring your stuff by my table and show me, I'll be happy to give you a few minutes feedback. Yeah, that's great. That's something you should do at shows like this. If you have a portfolio, yeah, bring it. Bring it and go to every person on Artist Alley and every every editor or whoever you can find. Get that and feedback. show it to them because often t- I know we're done, but oftentimes you'll get the start. You'll start to notice that you're getting the same three or four responses from everybody. Where it's like, well, you should probably look at this anatomy book, or you should probably look at these movies for storytelling, or whatever. And you start to realize if twenty people tell you the same thing, um, Do there's that probably thing. something to it. And uh, that's how you learn. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm at table X31. <laughs> I'm X-23, so I'm not quite Wolverine's kid. <laughs> AO1. And all these guys are really easy to talk to. I want to thank them for coming to the Calgary Expo. I want you all Thanks to have a great uh, last day of the Calgary Expo. And I do want one round of applause, besides for these guys. One for the volunteers, too. Thanks a lot. Enjoy the rest of the show.